Hello. Oh, hi, Fatin. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Paola? I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really nice to talk to you. It's been so long. So welcome to New Mom Who This. Thank you for inviting me. Most welcome. So my first question usually is, what is something that you weren't expecting that you find difficult in being a mother? And what is something that you thought was going to be difficult and you realize is not that much of a challenge? Okay, wow. I guess I, as a woman, as an independent woman that thought herself as a feminist, I knew I was going to have kids because I have also been sort of like indoctrinated in the idea of family as an institution. So I I knew I was going to have kids and yet I never really thought about the practicality of it. So when I when I got pregnant, it took me a long time to to just accept that I was pregnant. Although I, I, I really was happy and, and I finally had said, well, maybe I, I want to have kids. And, and we, 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 we were able to do it without many troubles. <laughs> and so it was for me, the hardest was to deal with work because at the time I was the only one uh, that had a paid job. And my husband was finishing his PhD and he... He at that point we decided that we were gonna have him stay as a home dad, as a stay-at-home dad, and so I had always that in me that I was I had to go back to work, and so when I first had Mayu, my first one, that now he's six, I went back to work after six weeks or eight weeks, wow. something like that. That it was really hard, and I had a C-section, and I had to go back to work soon after. I did it like part time first, and they progressively increased my hours. But the first time that I had to go to my office, I really cried, oh. <laughs> and I felt like I, I just, I, I left. I told my boss, I said like I, I have to, I have to leave after two hours, and I feel like I need, I need another, another day to like process it. So that was very hard to have to go back to work and leave my young infant although he was with his father which was nice but you know the, the difficulties of the u.s living in the u.s and that there's no no really laws that protect mothers like in other places in the world no no parental leave and and there was after after they, there was a law actually with my second that i could take that was a completely different with the second one i took a year off wow that <laughs> <Paid>. is different <laughs> yes I, I I may I, I I knew because I had like this this trauma in some ways with my first one that the second one I felt like I won't miss this opportunity. And then also with the second one, COVID happened, so I was at home. Um but then something that I thought it was gonna be hard and it wasn't, you know. <laughs> it was all hard. <laughs> no, that's everything hard for me. <laughs> for me, like becoming a mother under those conditions and also knowing that I I, did, I you know, I, I don't have my family here. All my family is in Ecuador. And I really had this idea that I could do it all, that because I am this powerful woman, that I could be a worker, that I could be a mother, that I could be everything and that I had to do it all by myself. Yeah. <laughs> and 
And so there was like a lot of shame in like even reaching out for help. And the help wasn't also very available either because my mom came for like some time and that was very helpful. But I, I really just wanted to be close to my son yeah. and I couldn't. Yeah. So that was that was difficult. I feel like to a certain extent, we all have this feeling of being a mother is a natural thing and I'm and I'm more than capable of doing it all by myself, especially for immigrants, right? Like us being away from family and, you know, a sense of a village and things like that. So we take pride in being like, yes, I decided to live abroad and then I can do it all by myself. And when it hits you that, man, do you need that village and do you need the help? And like you said, when it's not available, it's hard. It's hard to realize that you were wrong yeah. and how difficult it actually is. Yes. And so I think that I had always been like a, a person that wanted to build community, that wanted, you know, believes in collective power and I've always in in social justice, fighting for some cause and environment, uh, human rights, uh, rights of nature. And yet when I when I became a mother, it's like my my worldview in a way changed and, and then I think that I could understand better from a diff from my own body. Like that necessity of, of family, of connection, of, of really needing a village. And so I, I have been um I'm very grateful with my friends, the ones that have been there for me in, in here in this Haudenosaunee land, which is Rochester, New York. Because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to like survive. Yeah. <laughs> but but also I just have to deal with the fact that I don't have as much as much help and that you know my emergency contact is are, are coming from Laura and I my husband and I we have to just like make it work somehow and like deal with it we just we are just used to doing it all and so even sometimes when we visit family it's hard for us to leave those roles and say like oh maybe we can just let the kids play with the grandparents while yeah. we do something together because we're we're so used to switching now it's your turn now it's my turn and and co when COVID happened we had like a a newborn during COVID time a, a one-year-old and so it was very hard to to have to work full-time I was working full-time still at that time and we both were working at home it was just impossible like we were really struggling that I just didn't know how we would just preparing three meals a day was already a full-time job yeah. and then I tried to go through bedtime as quick as I could so then I, I had to I was doing this li like Facebook live for work work talking about worker rights and like doing interviews and then working all night without having without sleeping until one of them would wake up and so then I would have to go and and again like uh, feed the youngest one calm the oldest one <laughs> it was just a nightmare yeah. yeah so i i after like for many other reasons i i decided to just i quit my job two years ago and that was like one of the best decisions in my life good for you <laughs> yeah but i i but i thought that i had to being a woman being a woman of color immigrant in the u.s it's very hard and and fighting because my my husband he's a he's a college professor white tall blue-eyed man so having to deal with those stereotypes and thinking like what are people thinking about our relationship do think do they think that i am like a like a person that wanted to marry because i wanted to live in the u.s and and, and be like maintained by this man yeah. right and so i was always fighting those stereotypes and trying to prove people wrong of the stereotypes 
stereotypes because that wasn't my case and that wasn't me. Do you feel but like in- you did encounter those stereotypes, judgments, or do you think it was more of a personal impression? So it was a, it was a personal thing, but it was also like I would see like people would ask me like I the first times that I did a, a commitment for work, I remember I was tabling along with other government agencies in an event and uh, this person came to me, the person that worked for the government in the Department of Labor came and, talk, and asked me like, say, how, how are you here? How come you are living here? And I said, well, I do you want the short version of the long version. And she's like the short and I said, well, the reason is that I got married and that I came here because of my husband, because he lives here. And she's told and she looked at me with like a very, in a very condescending way and, and told me, oh, at least you are honest about it. Oh my and God. So it, so it It took me a little bit to understand and I was like, why is she saying that to me? And then I understood that what she thought that I was saying was that I married because of the papers. Yeah. Right. Where like in my in my case, I was totally not the case. I was really trying to have my husband to move to Ecuador with me, but he wasn't done with his PhD. He was late. He took um, longer to finish. So I, I decided to supposedly I was going to be here for six months and then we're going to move. <laughs> But I didn't. Six years like, later. <laughs> ten years. Yeah. And, and he was working on this uh, um, project in, in, the, in, in Switzerland and France. There's this particle accelerator and, and the machine broke and they stopped getting data. And so I had to move on with my life and I was already working because what was I going to do? So anyway, so yeah, I saw that. I One time I overheard some people saying that maybe that man has adopted the kids, our kids, because because my kids look more like me. And so that somebody like I was maybe, ad- and maybe they were adopted and that um, he was like sort of like saving us or something. And that was just like, for me, just to hear, to overhear those things, of course, that, that uh, triggers a lot of, of internal internal things where I'm like, I, this is not us, you know, and I shouldn't be justifying my relationship or the nature of my relationship to the world over and over again. You know, I think that it happens to most everybody who goes through a, a relationship where you have to immigrate for your partner, because I went through the same thing with my husband. And a lot of those ideas and judgment and stereotype were not always from a American point of view. A lot of people back in Morocco, where I'm from, were looking at me like, oh, are you marrying him for the papers? And and, and the same things, you know, I'm like, how do I, why do I have to justify my relationship? Yeah, and really it's, it's hard to, because we see ourselves in one way, <laughs> in how we are internally, and then how people see us is a different story. And so it's hard because we cannot, um, control what people think about us because those are all the stereotypes and ignorance that we live in 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 a very racialized society especially in the U.S. and in many other places but um, we can um, control what we think about ourselves and I think I it helps me to tap into that into like my inner self and inner worth it's a lot of work because all those outside like microaggressions and, and comments do uh, have a big weight when they are accumulated over time. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Like you said, it takes a lot of strength, but at the end of the day, the only way to find peace is to 
let go and only look inwards for validation. Mm-hmm. Yes. When you were mentioning your, uh, you quit your job, but I did. I've been following you for a while, and all the amazing work you've been doing in the past uh, couple of years. Um, I believe you uh, were working on a book. Yes. Yeah, I'm still working on the book. Part of the reason I quit my job was that I I wasn't feeling good with my job, and for me it was very hard to work for worker rights for human rights and have my own rights violated in, indoors and so that was a big contradiction for me and like a very traumatic to realize that um, you know there's this non-profit paradox right like the 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 same problems that you're trying to fix are the same problems that you are perpetuating inside and um eventually at the end i i decided to just step out and say like this is for myself for my health for my health and that's how the writing started and i said well maybe i do need to write more and and i found in writing a really good tool for for healing for for sort of like this therapeutic practice for introspection and since i had always been thinking that i had to be very strong and that i i had to tap into my strength to survive i finally understood that i also had to show my vulnerability and that i also had to let go of all those things and that i didn't have to be this this resilient person because i I, I do have resilience, but also I'm allowed to feel and to and to to have all the feelings that that the trauma that I had lived. And so I started to write and to write it. And little by little, I was understanding that the real work that I I had to do was internal, and that I was more and more writing about myself, my own views on the world, my own relationship, my family, and to really process a lot of things and. Um, and it's still in the process of helping me, and it's very hard. It has been very hard to write. I mean, many writing sessions, I would just cry and cry, thinking about all the things that had happened. But at the same time that I was crying, I was it was like a, a very healing um, process, sort of like a psychomagic event where I would just put it out, so other people also can maybe relate with it. But also, I would just take it out of my body in writing. Yeah, I think I think that's always a wonderful thing to do, and it's a little bit what we're doing here, where one just has to accept its vulnerability and everything, all the emotions that just grow through us, and have the courage to share them with others, so we don't feel as lonely in our journey. Yeah, and so when I I started to write this like sort of like academic paper where I was like talking about microaggressions and all that, and then I was thinking, well, this this is not really helping me because it's causing more stress because I felt like I was writing like a thesis dissertation, and so little by little I detached myself from that idea and started to write sort of like a memoir where I was just really processing all my things, even like I went back to like my my childhood and like thinking about the, all those those events and like big big uh, emotions and and feeling so liberated and so happy at the same time, like very liberating, vulnerable, but happy. Then at some point I realized that I wasn't just writing because I had never written some only in I, 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 because I was always us and community and we, yeah. but I had, I have been neglecting the I 
in some ways. And um, and at some point, I, I realized what I was writing maybe it was also the experience of other people. And I knew that somehow, but it somehow clicked in my own body, where I like I I could see my own body being the body of other other people, other women. And I discovered this genre of writing. It's a out of fiction and I discovered the writings of uh, Gabriela Wiener in the, her last book Waco Retrato and for me when I read that book <laughs> was such a liberation and like I I understood you know the ultimate moment for me was to understand that if I could write whatever I wanted in the book and that I could fictionize my my own life I could do whatever I want with my life and so Yes, and so t really working on self-love and self-acceptance -accept uh, through vulnerability, through introspection, through just accepting that we are all imperfect beings and that we're all walking wounded in the world and that we all deserve care and love regardless of who you are and just trying to find this humanity in people and in relationships, in love, and like accepting our desires, our needs, and being able to name them. For me, that was like, that. it seems easy, but for some reason, it's where the first time that I felt like I, it clicked in all the parts in my, my being that they had to click. And so I felt like this huge sense of liberation and, and have, in a state of happiness. It doesn't um, sound easy, honestly. Yeah, but yeah. Um, what are some of your desire and needs that you found uh, that you weren't aware of through this process? Yeah, that's, that's a big question. Um, so as a mother, having kids was a big, a big change. And I, once I was a mother, because I grew up in this society and in this family where we, we come from these sacrificial mothers, the mothers that have give it all for their kids. And so I have that big weight on me. And I think that I really try to like numb my other part to really focus on my kids and also because not enough not not a lot of help and you know and it, it, everything it was just it's just difficult right but but not having enough help and i think i just focus on being a good mother for like i think like for five years of my life i just said like well maybe i am going to be a different person maybe psychologically i remember my best friend told me that our minds really change we psychologically change when we become mothers so it would be easier and i i decided to believe that to be true and i've always been a, like a like a person that loves to go out to travel party and i said well when i will have kids i won't do that anymore and i won't need that and it was true like for the first years of my journey in motherhood, I really just wanted to stay home. I couldn't even think of the idea of going out to a bar because I really wanted to be there for my kids. I, I was very committed to breastfeeding. And so I, I did that and we, we co-slept. And so that meant that I, I had like little humans next to me at all times. <laughs> <laughs> and and I was happy to do it. I was very happy to stay home and watch a movie and, and eat ice cream <laughs> for some years. But then when I stopped breastfeeding, I started to have the need to sort of like recover my body mm -hmm. because I, I at some point I was realizing like my breasts are not my breasts. My breasts stopped being my breasts and it started to be my, my kids, like a very utilitarian tool <laughs> to feed. 
I really, really relate to that. It, the breastfeeding, and even when I stopped breastfeeding, whenever my kids wanted me to carry them, even if I was cooking or doing something else or just trying to have time for myself, I, I felt that I had to carry them because my arms weren't mine. They are theirs to be in. And yeah. so it was hard, you know, like to decide, okay, slowly I need to reclaim my body. And so that was one big part of like that new time for me to reclaim my body. And like, so now it's, now I stopped breastfeeding and now this is my body. And, and it was a confrontation with also my new body because my body was, was it's not the body that, that it had before. Yeah. Right. So learning to love again, the body that I got <laughs> after, after breastfeeding, yeah, after two birds. <laughs> And so just finding the beauty on it and like in and, and, and true beauty and like genuinely tell myself that I like it because one thing is to say, well, yes, I, I am beautiful, but to really believe it and, and feel it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, reconnect with my femininity and se- sensuality. Mm-hmm. That was um, something that I, I had to do and that I, I made a space for me to, to do. I did a several uh, photography classes that I, I found online. So because I'm also a mom and really busy and time is an issue all the time, uh, I I did these classes that I received these uh, messages through Telegram different days. And so I, I do I did a self-portrait one that was very powerful. And oh, I remember. I realized... You posted about it, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I Those realized. Beautiful. Yeah, I realized that I didn't have any pictures of myself. Somebody asked me to give a picture for like a, I was part of a panel and I was like, oh, I don't have any pictures of myself. I gave a picture, of, I, I gave them at that point a picture, a selfie I took that where I was carrying my youngest and the other one was walking behind me. That was the picture that I had. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so like, I can't believe how relatable this is because it happened to me a couple of times now for different uh, needs. I needed to have a picture of myself for two different things. And every time I start looking through my camera roll and there is no pictures of me, it's my kids, my husband carrying my kids, things like that. I end up sending them a picture from like 10 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, Oh my God! I nobody is documenting me. No, yeah. what what if I die? Like my kids will want to have even pictures of me because nobody is documenting me. So I said like I'm gonna document myself. And also I I was in the time where I was writing, but I I felt like I needed a pause because words were not enough, and I was more and more finding like other art forms were fitting best my needs for self-expression mm. and so photography has been one of that I've always been the person with the camera <laughs> documenting I'm like a documentarian and a photographer have been for many 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 years but I've never showed my pictures and I, I didn't have pictures of myself so I said well okay I'm gonna do this self-portrait and work on this and so I ha- was able to work so many roles and so many stereotypes and identities and, and really work on identity and belonging, which are the themes of the book that I'm writing, right? Like finding this acceptable place to live in the world beyond social constructs. And uh, there were a few very powerful pictures that I did um, 
that I still remember. I would I would like to do repeat this as a residency for like self portrait as a healing tool with other people because it was very powerful to me. But I at one of the exercises I wrote a lot of words in my body and I I wrote all these identities that have been assigned to me or, or identities that I have a struggle with that I am learning progressively to to love and, and to live with in a peaceful way. And so for me, I right now, uh, how I describe myself is like I am a queer woman, pan-Indian from the Andes. And uh, those identities don't go, those words don't come as easily. Like I, I wouldn't been able to say those words years ago. But like reclaiming my indigeneity and, and be and call myself India. That was like a big issue for me, an identity that I struggled with for many, many years growing up. And my kids, I, they are from everywhere. <laughs> so there's, it's even more complicated for them. And I hope that they'll just enjoy life and be citizens of the world. Yeah. So that's why I had like these identities. And when I took that picture and I wrote all those things, and another one, being a woman, being a mother, all the all the expectations that I have been a wife and like how I, I deal with my relationships and, and polyamory started to be one of them. Uh, that was very liberating to to be able to just publicly acknowledge all the people that I am in one person and that all those identities don't have to fight with each other, don't have to contradict each other, but they can coexist in the same body. Do you feel that has been a progression in your life for a long time? Or do you feel like it was accelerated or triggered by motherhood? Yeah, I think that it was accelerated by motherhood because the ways we see motherhood can be very oppressive. And I think that in some ways I was like feeling trapped. Because like the first year that I quit my job, I was so happy. I... I was finally able to take my kids to the zoo, to the park, to the museum, and we had such a good time. We, I started to be tend to my garden, and it was a beautiful. Like it was really nice to reconnect with that. But then after that, I was also feeling like my adult interactions decrease mm -hmm. because I wasn't working as much as I used to. And so the first year after I quit my job, my job was great. And I, I was able to like finally, because I remember thinking like, oh, I shouldn't be this meeting that it, it's nonsense. And I, I wish I could be just like enjoying the sun with my kids outside in the park. <laughs> so I was able to do all those things. And I'm very grateful for that time. But then after that, when like all my in adult in interactions started to like decrease and I was writing which was very isolated isolating because I'm my on my own writing um I I needed to I needed I had this need to like go out and like meet other people and like find other communities for myself to to also like explore my myself as as an artist as a as a a woman that wants to like meet people Yeah, it's it's a recurring topic I feel in this podcast so far. The need to be with grown-ups at some point. Um, <laughs> that the conversation with our children are adorable and uh, full of love. But at some point, 
counting the ants on the sidewalk and things like that for all day, every day, it gets old. And uh, yeah. and one craves um, more where we can feel like ourselves again. Yeah, I had to shamelessly take that time and I am very grateful that I have a, a partner and I have partners that are helping me with that. Yeah. And But it's very hard because it comes with a lot of shame. You know, I still have to... Like, I don't have a lot of time that I'm not doing anything. I am, I have a full schedule and I'm able to like go in and dance and like I'm, I go out and like do these other activities, but I'm leaving, but I'm going to like cook all this food and like make sure that they have everything that they need so then I can leave with my with my conscience, right? Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, whenever I know I'm going to go out for dinner or um, that I'm going to be away from from them for the purpose of me having a good time, that it's not something I have to do, I feel like I have to put in like the extra work, give them extra attention, prepare everything for them, make sure I go above and beyond to kind of earn that time for yeah. me and yeah. it's it's something i'm still you know working on that it doesn't have to be this way yeah. but it's an ongoing struggle yeah for me that is also and i am still trying to find answers to that like from having like this stereotype where like or archetypically you go from lover to servant <laughs> and that feels like really difficult i imagine that if there was like a more accepting a society that would like really work more in the mutual aid and like really having a village, it would be easier um, because if, for example, I would decide to go on a trip for fun, I won't receive. And I have had that. I have had trips on my own where like my family stepped in and helped. But it's not the same as like if I was going on a business trip, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I have talked to other moms where like this, like I could never do that. I'm You're so lucky. And I'm like, yes. And, and, and it takes a lot for me to be able to say I need this time for myself yeah. Yeah. and like say it and still it's hard. But like, you know, like I wish like families and friends would help anybody. Even It doesn't have to be a business trip to have the help and like, you know, have that been okay. Yeah. It could be anything. Like people need time and, and all of us, you know. Um, but I think especially mothers. And, yeah, I think know. it's important we keep growing even after having <laughs> children and having yeah. time for ourselves is absolutely part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I just wanted to get into real quick relationships. You mentioned, you know, reclaiming your body and rediscovering who you really are and who you really want to be. And I wonder with being a mother and all that it takes, how have you been able to manage the relationships around you? And do you feel like they changed since becoming a mother? Yeah, it's very hard. It's really difficult. That's I don't know what tip <laughs> to give to anybody, but I how I am approaching this is that um it's important for me to have a a center for myself where I can then leave others because I I know that I want to de-emphasize my mothering, but uh you know like I relationship with my husband it's difficult because we're always switching back and forth with the kids and with my friends I am like an absent friend where we're like we're trying to organize something and then it, it, you know we have to planning a month in advance so, so we can actually do it and sometimes we have to reschedule because of 
of our times and then work, you know, I am all still working. I'm a diversity, equity and inclusion specialist and a community educator for a local nonprofit. I do that part time. So I have also to show up for that work that I care a, a lot about. And then I have another an other partner that also takes some time and effort. And so it's just very hard. Like I see like it, this is biggest stove where you have many plates cooking and sometimes you have to slow down one and like turn on the other one. And sometimes something gets burned and that's what it is. You know, it's not perfect. Yeah, that's very well said. It's like you. You wish you can juggle all the parts, but at the end of the day, there is just so much attention you can give to each part. Yeah. Last question is, what is an advice you would give to a younger Paola or to someone else mm -hmm. just starting the journey of uh, parenting? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's parenting is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just think about it and, and enjoy it. I mean, I, I don't know, what would I say to Paola? Paola was very, uh, she didn't know she wanted to have kids, but then she wanted to. And I, she started to buy books even a year before kids' books, just in case. <laughs> Um, to let go a little bit of that um, control in motherhood and like that the mothers have to do it all. I think I'm, I'm keep learning, but at the beginning, beginning, I just wanted to be like glued to my son. I always wanted to be glued to my son. Every time that I could, I was just very close to him. And maybe I should have just like accept the help. You just accept the help <laughs> that reach out for help, accept help. That's, That's fantastic <laughs> advice. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's all for me thank you so much for this just eye-opening conversation i really enjoyed it and um thank you so much for your honesty and of course and taking the time to talk to me today thank you so much i really appreciate it thank you Thank you so much for tuning in to New Mom Who This. I had a fantastic time talking to Paula today and I hope you enjoyed it. Until next week, take it easy. 